0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to New Books in History, a channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Zeb Larson, and I'm here today with Dr. Antonio Tomas to discuss his new biography of Amilcar Cabral. Dr. Tomas examines the life of Cabral, the roots of Cabral's ideology and nationalism, and the role that he played in the struggle against Portuguese imperialism in West Africa uh dr tomas uh thank you for joining us today on the new books network uh tell us a little bit about yourself
1: hi uh my name is antonio tomas i um, i'm from angola originally and i uh, i spent a great of my a great part of my time you know abroad traveling i lived in portugal uh, where i went to college and then i moved to the u.s where i did my phd um in in anthropology uh, at Columbia University. And then I moved to Macerere. I worked at Macerere University for one year. And then I moved to um, first Cape Town, then Stellenbosch. And now I am based uh, in Johannesburg, University of Johannesburg.
0: And for this particular book, which is uh, about the life of Milkar Cabral, what led you to this topic?
1: um i was i was born uh, in angola you know uh, before uh, independence in 19 independence of angola was in 1975 and, and for me uh, you know and then angola uh, became a socialist country and then during the civil war and so on so growing up in in rwanda in angola uh, during this time Uh, that, um, you know, the country was making a huge effort um, to, you know, to transform the economy and to become an African socialist country. I thought that there was a discrepancy uh, between, on one hand, um, you know, all the celebrations of nationalism and the path that had led Angola into independence, you know, like the, the celebration of of the revolution or the revolutionary moment, on one hand, and on the other, the condition we lived in, you know, because the uh, the economy was severely damaged by the war, uh, you know, and all all the, all the problems that you know uh, that, that 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 you know are like the everyday life of an African city, you know, in terms of infrastructure and access to, to goods and so on. So, and, and the people would talk a lot about Amigo Cabral, you know. So um, so I started reading about Amigo Cabral and then when I moved to, to Lisbon, uh, you know, I sort of found a, a different version of Cabral uh, because in Portugal Cabral was red and was talked about in a different way so in portugal because cabral was also a student in in lisbon he moved to portugal in 49 for to pursue his studies in um, in um, um in agriculture um um he became an agronomist um so he moved to portugal as well so and then in portugal i i found um You know, something that for me was, I think, my first encounter uh, with racism, you know, very particular post-colonial Portuguese racism. And actually, a lot of people of my generation, a lot of Africans were reading Cabral, so as to come to terms with, uh, you know, with all these questions that Cabral posed, asked in his time, you know, about colonialism about relationship between Portugal and the colonies and so on. So I started to read Cabral and so on. So this book actually is a way to reconcile these two views of Cabral. You know, on one hand how you how, yeah, how you use Cabral to understand revolution and particularly the relationship between revolution and what happened to you know African countries after independence. And on the other hand, um, you know, how to read Cabral in order to make an argument, in order to make a statement against racism and so on.
0: In terms of the literature that's been published or written so far about Cabral, how do you situate what you've written with what's come before?
1: Uh, i I think this book is is kind of uh, in a way I would say original because of the fact that um, I think one of the few uh, I think I'm perhaps one of the few author at least in, uh, in you know in the Anglophone uh, literature that that, that that has that was born after the death of Cabral, you know a great part of people who have written about Cabral were people who know Cabral or people who you know are from you know i would say the same the, the same time frame that Cabral occupy you know uh, so you have a lot of people you have some uh, uh, some literature on Cabral in the in the 60s uh particularly after hit that you know in the in the seventies and so on. Um uh, people like uh, uh um people like the, an Angolan author as well, uh, Mario Mari Pinto de Andrade, who has written about Cabral, you have Oleg Ignatiev, Russian or Soviet, who have who has also written about Cabral. So one of the things about this literature is that this literature, I don't think that it, it doesn't challenge Cabral, you know, because actually it's a literature that uses the, the, the work of Cabral to, um, to make a certain argument against, against capitalism, against uh, imperialism, and, and, and so on. Um, so it, 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 it doesn't engage, for the most part, you know, this literature doesn't engage critically with Cabral. So I tried to do something different with this book, you know, is really to how to read Cabral in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the context of it, 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 how to provide a reading of Cabral from the historical perspective we are in now, you know. Uh, because Cabral um, is a is a nationalist so he fought for uh, independence of Guinea Cape Verde and and, and by extension Angola and Mozambique and Santome as well you know so how to read Cabral um, beyond uh, you know the celebration of this important moment that was African independence how to read Cabral critically through the mistakes that he made, and so on. So this is a sort of the reading that uh, I try to, to, to provide from, you know, and I think it's generational as well, from someone who was born after the after the killing, after the death of Cabral. I hope it makes sense.
0: No, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, before we dive too much more deeply into Cabral, I just wanted to ask you if you could provide for our listeners sort of a A high level view of who cabral was because they may not be familiar with his work or or the more the broader sort of struggle against portuguese colonialism in the 1960s and 1970s
1: okay um cabral is a very is a very interesting figure because uh in order to understand cabral we need to understand first portugal Portuguese colonialism, the nature of Portuguese colonialism. And we need to understand particularly the relationship between um, Cape Verde and and Guinea. You know, because they are different kinds of colonialism and we know know, how the British colonize, you know, Nigeria and so on and how the French colonize Algeria and and Senegal, you know. And in, in each of these cases, the techniques used uh, are, are different. Uh, in, uh, in in Portuguese colonialism is the same. So Portugal had two kinds of colonies. They had the what they called uh, the settlement colonies. Um, uh, and uh, um, um, the, 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 they have they have the, the colonies like Angola and Mozambique, right? Where colonies they uh, plan. To send, uh, you know, contingent of white populations. Those are the, the settlement uh, colonies, and they had other kinds of colonies, like uh, like Cape Verde. It was for for a great deal of for a great part of the Portugal uh, involvement in Africa it was not even considered a, a colony because, according to history, when the when the Portuguese arrived in in um, uh, in Cape Verde, they didn't find any any population, so they populated Cape Verde with people that they brought from from Guinea, from from the coast of West, West Africa. So what happened is that Portugal, for a great part of the time, you know, since since the six since 16th century onwards, uh, uh, didn't have like the same kind of uh, the same kind of social reality, social Dynamics that other colonial powers had to face in Africa. You know, there was not a question of ethnicity. There was not a question of local languages. There was not a question of local culture in the way we talk about, you know, cultures in in, in West Africa. the The language spoken was 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 Portuguese and and, and Creole, which was a language that was developed. Uh, through mixing or through the combination between Portuguese and uh, a number of, um, of um, African language from West Africa brought by slaves to, to Cape Verde. And actually, and also Cape Verde was the country that the, that, um, that the Portuguese uh, was one of the places in, in Africa in Portuguese Africa, where the Portuguese start to invest in education and so on, so what happened is that in the in the forties, in the thirties and forties, the Portugal start to use Cape Verdeans um, to provide a sort of middle structure for or, or, or to provide um, um, uh, uh, to provide uh, um, people to help them. In, in colonizing or other places, you know, so as to provide the middle structure between colonizers and colonized. This happened in Angola, where a lot of Cape Verdeans moved to Angola, but this happened particularly in Guinea-Bissau, where Cabral was born of uh, Cape Verdeans' parents, because it was very common for Cape Verdeans to move to Guinea and to work as and to, and to work in this middle strata, you know, as as clerks, as um, you know, professionals, and, and so on. So this uh, creates a very interesting situation for okay, for Christians in Guinea, you know, in which they were they were not colonized, but they were not colonizer uh, either. Although they were closer to to the Portuguese, or they were provide providing. The kind of work that the Portuguese uh, needed to be done, so that you know Guinea could be could be a colony, could be colonized, um, and this, of course, uh, puts Cabral in a in a very particular uh, uh, position as well, being from Cape Verde and from Guinea, because he was he was born in um, in, in Cape Verde. Oh, sorry, he was born in in in, in, in Guinea in uh, uh, nineteen twenty four. He moved to Cape Verde nineteen thirty two, and he spent you know a few years in Cape Verde studying, and then he moved to Portugal uh, forty nine, and then he finished his studies in um um his, you know he became uh, an, an agronomist, and then he decided and uh, he decided to move back to. Uh, to, to Guinea, and when he moved back to Guinea in the in the fifties, that was when he started to be engaged with uh, with nationalism. And I think, like all the contradictions that I explain in the book, arise from these uh, from this double identity. So he then creates the a party, the the PAIGC, the PAIGC. Which is a party that combine uh, these two elements, right? Cape Verdeans and 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 Guineans. So the idea was to create a party that would fight for um, a state that would proclaim independence of a state that was that would be these two countries together, you know, Cape Verde and Guinea. But the problem was that, you know, Cape Verdeans were not very, uh, for the most part, Cape Verdeans were not very convinced that, you know, independence was uh, a name to be, to be uh, achieved. Because for the most part, Cape Verdeans didn't feel colonized or didn't feel as colonized as many people in Angola or in Guinea would, would, would feel. So what happened is that uh, the party that would 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 have elements from Cape Verde and Guinea end up being, for the most part, uh, a party with uh, where or uh, where the great majority of people were from from Guinea, and this creates you know a, a bunch of a, a bunch of problems because. Uh, during a a certain moment in the the struggle, Guineans start to ask questions about this. You know, why is that we are fighting for the independence of Cape Verde in Guinea, but we almost, we don't have, we have like less than, you know, 50 Cape Verdeans here, and like for, you know, more than 2,000 or perhaps 5,000 Guineans. So these start to to, to to raise a lot of questions, you know. And I think that the the killing of Cabral in seventy three is also I think also comes because of the fact that a number of these issues were not addressed in a in a proper
0: manner. So that was a really good high level view of the sort of the trajectory of Cabral's life. I want to rewind now a little bit and zero in on his early life. You know, you know, for our listeners, the circumstances of his birth, but tell us a little bit about his family, about his relationship with the Cape Verde Islands as a child. And how does that shape him? Uh,
1: so he moved to Cape Verde in um, in, um, in in, 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 t- in thirty two uh, because his uh, his father, Jovinal Cabral. Uh, had received um, and some, you know, some money, some inheritance. So he moved uh, with with the family, and he had a um, um, a second wife who uh, became the mother of his brother, um, of his, you know, siblings. Uh, because you've now had more, you know, uh, nobody knows, but I think more than twenty seven. Um, um, uh, children, but Luis Cabral, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, he, he he became uh, a member of, of, of the PASE, and later on, uh, the I think the first the first president of, of Guinea-Bissau. So he moved to um, um, to Cape Verde with, with his, um, his father and his um, uh, stepmother. And, and so on, and then in, in Cape Verde he, you know, he went to school. Uh, he went late to school, you know, because of the situation of divorce and so on. Um, but uh, and then Cape Verde is very interesting in, in, these, uh, in these in these in this time because he goes to um, to liceu uh, Gil uh, the secondary school, and there is actually you know a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you know, a lot of people writing poetry and so on, and a lot of people, you know, reading uh, Brazilian uh, poets, reading Brazilian literature, and start to ask questions about um, about Verdeanidad, You know, what is to be Caboverdian? So we're talking about the thirties, right? Uh, where you know questions of questions of identity, where uh, where you know a major, a major, a major preoccupation. So if you read, uh, you know, what Cabral has written in that time, there is no much difference between what he has written and what you know any any other Cape Verdean his age and his education or his background would 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 read. So I think that he he blended uh very well into these um into these um uh cape Verdean, uh cape Verdean uh mindset. But I think also there is another another thing that it's that needs to be highlighted in the terms of in how uh, uh, Cabral uh, grew up in uh, in Cape Verde. You know Cape Verde is um, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a um, most of the islands, you know, are very dry. So Canadians have, um, have dealt with um, a lot of uh, nat- natural issues like drought and famine and so on. So it was very frequent, you know, that uh, years without, without rain uh, would cause uh, great problems. And, you know, a lot of people would just star- starve to death. So I think that um, this experience of death, or this proximity to death, I think is something also that uh, shaped Cabral, uh, you know, and and shaped the, the, the struggles that he would be engaged with later in his life.
0: So as you know, he then moves to Portugal, I think you said in '49. Uh, to study to become agronomist. And, And this is really one of my favorite chapters of the book because it also highlights that this is chronologically sort of a hinge moment in Portuguese imperialism, too, that there's this shift going on in the metropole at the same time that Cabral is there. Can you sort of help us explore how Portuguese imperialism is shifting in this period, and then how his encounter in Portugal shapes Cabral?
1: Uh, this is a very this is a very good question uh, and um, uh, you know I I think the, it, 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 I was talking about the thirties you know um, and the questions of identity and so on I think that was because of fascism you know fascism uh, particularly in Italy and uh, and, and, and Germany with, with Nazism you know brought all these questions of identity uh, to, to, to the fore. And, and Portugal with, with Salazar as well. You know, Salazar was, even though a lot of uh, people dispute that, but he was a fascist, you know. So in the 30s, uh, Salazar uh, becomes the first minister of the colonies and then the president of the council and so on. So uh, becomes the, the prime prime minister. So what Salazar does in you know first of all was to deny that Portugal was a colonial power, right? So he integrates the colonies into into in, into Portugal, right? And, and we know how that in the in the fifties um, uh, Portugal even denied that that it had colonies, you know, because they called them. Uh, Overseas provinces, you know, but but this is in the in the in the fifties. So in the in the forties, when when Cabral uh, arrives in in uh, in um, uh, in um, in, um, in Lisbon, that was the situation, right? At, of 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 Portugal uh, trying to trying to redesign um, colonialism. If, uh, um, if I if if I can say so, so one of the things that um, that um, that uh, Salazar would say uh, is that um, uh, you know is that uh, Portugal is not a is not a small country. Portugal actually is a big country, and you, you can see the maps of Portugal, you know, in which all the colonies are combined. And Portugal has an area that occupy, you know, you know, a great part of, of Europe with like France and Spain, um, uh, and, and 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 so on. Another thing, so another thing that he tries to do is to sort of to integrate the economy of the colonies into the economy of Portugal itself, right? Uh, in the sense that the colonies could only uh, produce. Uh, primary goods, you know, like Angola, cotton, coffee, uh, and so on. And then these these goods would be sent to Portugal and Portugal would transform them like um, cotton, you know, in textiles and so on. And then it would, Portugal would re-export. So it was a, an economy that was, Completely subsidiary to the to the to the Portuguese um, to the Portuguese um, economy, but there was a lot of poverty in Portugal as well, you know. And and Cabral um, he for his final uh, for his dissertation uh, um, um, he he goes to to Cuba, uh, a district of, of of Portugal in in Alentejo, you know. And I really think that when the way he describes the way he describes the way he describes, um, the way he describes uh, this particular uh, agrarian society, which for him is not very different from what is going on, or from the situation of of of, um, of, of peasants, uh, not in Guinea but but in Cape Verde, you know. I think this is when he comes to the conclusion that, and I think this is very important in Cabral's work. This separation between uh, uh, between um, between fascism, uh, uh, you know, the the separation the, the, the separation between just to understand what the. the the war was 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 about you know so he said many times that we are not fighting uh, we are not fighting portugal we are not fighting portuguese people we are fighting fascists you know i think because i th- i think i was because of this experience you know so but one of things that the portuguese did and i think um capral has written about that mari pinto the another has written about that and i think that was like the uh, uh how how portugal tried to um to give a positive image of colonialism was to use um the, the work that was being developed by a brazilian <coughs> sociologist uh, called Gilberto Frey. Uh, so Gilberto Frey come, came up with a theory called lusotropicalism Also, tropicalism is, you know, it's an argument that he was making, that Brazil was a country devoid of racism or racial tension because of the nature of, of the Portuguese and the nature of Portuguese colonialism, you know, that the Portuguese were more plastic, they were more adaptable, and they didn't have problems with procreating with indians and africans and so on so uh, uh you know people in portugal people like salazar found all these uh very very interesting and then they they try to apply these to to to, to you know to explain presence of Portugal in in Africa. So for people like Cabral in Lisbon, I think that was like a, a shock, you know, for them. Because on one hand, the official discourse was about loser tropicalism, right? That the Portuguese had a that Portuguese colonialism was not as brutal as British or French colonialism. But the Portuguese had a particular inclination to mix and to deal with, with you know uh, with uh, with uncivilized people that was the expression then at uh, the Africans particularly uh, you know but the, but the reality of racism in, in Lisbon was, was was brutal you know was uh, uh was a, a very strong uh, thing and I think this is you know also something that Cabral has has sought that he had to um, to, to to fight to fight against so I really think that in these in this period of time it's something that uh, that uh, pushes cabral into nationalism you know because he he writes about that he, he in the 60s he writes a piece called um, Facts against, against colonialism. And one of the things that he does, one of the arguments that he makes in his speech, is exactly um, to dismantle these seemingly uh, contradictions, you know, uh, or un- un- in a temple of unmasking, actually, uh, the regime, saying that, you know, all this stuff about loser tropicalism is, is a lie because in reality, this, this is what is going on. Uh, and he was very knowledgeable about the, the colonial economy and, and what the what the Portuguese, what Portugal was extracting uh, from the, from the colonies.
0: Now, as you note, it's when he returns, finally, from Portugal and goes to Guinea that he sort of commits fully to nationalism. It's It's this idea that's been sort of take root for a long time, but it fully blossoms in this period. What happens in the early 50s when he goes back to Guinea? And what does that sort of become? Uh,
1: Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, normally when people um, write about Cabral and people write about nationalism and people write about, you know, these big figures, um, you know, Che Guevara, even Nelson Mandela and so on, Uh, You 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 read these these books, you know, and it's like, um, and what a lot of people do, and even you know, Patrick Chabal has written a wonderful book on Cabral in the eighties and so on. For you know, so they write about uh, you know these figures, childhood and so on. And they you know, and they sort of come up with justifications or they see a direct link between, you know, how these people grow up and what they end up doing later on. I think one of the things that I try to do with this book, you know, is to, to say that like the, the passage for Cabral from you know like a normal life to political activism is not straightforward. You know, it had a lot of doubts and and I really think that his career his life could have taken a different different path you know but there are a number of a number of a number of events that that take place and sort of push him into uh, into internationalism you know the first one was the the non of secuture uh, when the um, goal travels to to many places in Africa uh, to, to promote the idea that um, of the union to be established between France and and, and African colonies, right? Um, and the culture says no. and So on, and so you know Guinea-Conakry becomes independent, and Guinea-Conakry starts to receive a lot of uh, a lot of nationalists right a lot of uh uh people fighting for liberation of their countries of you know uh, people in cameroon uh congo uh, uh, and and so on so i think this is the first the first major element you know so because Guinea nakri was was so close to Guinea south so it was a, actually you know a base from which an anti-colonial war could be could be could start, you know, a place from which a colonial war, an anti-colonial war could start. And also, you know, uh, the also the fact that um, the fact that uh, when um, these generation, you know, people from students mostly students or so young professionals from Angola, uh, Mozambique, Cape Verde, Saint-Tomei, when they start to to awaken to the situation of colonialism and to sort of imagine, you know, what could happen to their countries because they could see that a lot of African countries were becoming independent. Salazar was not interested in, in, in having a dialogue, you know, because we know that a lot of many places where really few places in Africa became independent uh, as the result of, you know, struggle of armed conflict. You know, a lot of places became independent because of agreements between, you know, um, the mother countries and, and the colonies, places like Ghana and so on. But by the, you know, late 50s, in the 60s, uh, Cabral and everybody knew that Salazar would never, never, never negotiate independence, you know, because of the fact I was saying before, he even denied that Portugal had colonies, you know. So if Portugal did not have colonies, how could Salazar start Discuss discussing, or start you know, uh, um, uh, or would, how would Salazar start any kind of discussion with nationalists about independence because Portugal was not a colonial a colonial colonial power. And then, and a, a third aspect that I think there also is is important. Is the fact that um, is the fact that uh, for people like Cabral, um, and and for and, you know for people like Agustin um, Neto uh, 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 in Angola, was that now was the you know was the role that uh, Soviet Union was was playing in, in this in this situation, you know, because Soviet Union was really interested in supporting. Uh, countries all over the world, particularly in Africa, to becoming independent, right? So there was like, in a certain way, there was this availability of, of, and also not only Soviet Union, you know, like the Eastern Bloc. So there was availability of resources to start uh, an an anti-colonial war, to end Portuguese colonialism in Africa, so I really think that these are the factors that lead Cabral into the kind of nationalism that he embraced uh, in the in the fifties.
0: And how does Cabral manage the PAIGC? How does it conduct this war against the Portuguese? Uh,
1: oh, the the war. Um, so the war started um, um, started around uh, sixty three, sixty four, and um, and actually, you know, uh, the, the first the, the, the first clashes um, between between actually took, between Portuguese and African nationalists uh, took place in Angola. And Cabral was, you know, was I think that's the reason I call him reluctant. You know, he was a reluctant nationalist. He was a reluctant uh, soldier, um, and, and I think he was he was he was pushed into into the war because he didn't have any other any other any other resources. You know, it was it was not like uh, in many in in many places in Africa. Uh, in Ghana and so on, even in, in Guinea-Conakry, where you have, uh, you know, some semblance of some semblance of civil society, right? You have groups that could protest against colonialism and so on, and put colonial powers, France and Portugal, in a situation that they had to negotiate, right? In in uh, in, in Guinea-Bissau, the first time that people went to the street to protest. And that was um, that was uh, in Pichigiti, the port of Pichigiti. I was the case in Angola, you know, uh, in um, uh, in the sixties, uh, 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 when um, you know a, a group of uh, of cotton pickers, uh, peasants, uh, protest against against you know against labor conditions and so on. So the Portuguese were not interested in negotiating, you know, they just bombed Baixa de Sanji and they killed hundreds of people, perhaps thousands of people, you know. In Guinea-Bissau, the port of Pijiquiti was the same. In Santo Main, Príncipe was the same. So Amilcar Cabral knew that the Portuguese would not negotiate. So, he, so he, he knew that he had to be prepared to start an unarmed uh, struggle. In order to liberate his his country, so he started. So he created his bases. Um, you know, the first the first base was uh, was actually in Conakry, and then he started to, to move inside the country. One of the things that Cabral want want to do, uh, you know, uh, because we know what 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 uh, what happened in Angola. You know, when the war started it was in the in the in the border. You know, from Congo. And soldiers actually came from Congo and entered into Angolan territories and killed white farmers, Portuguese farmers and so on. But Cabral wanted to start the war inside the the the, the territory. So they attacked a, a Portuguese military base in Tite. And so that was when the when the war uh, when the war when the war started. And for Cabral, you know, the, uh the, of course he had to to think about you know what kind of uh, what kind of 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 war he would he would engage with you know? and we know that um um uh, uh we know from from uh, from from the literature you know um uh, particularly Mao about that week and what he has written about war as well um but you know you know uh, but he knows as well because it would be very hard for him to follow uh mao's precepts because one of things that 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 uh, that mao uh writes and says about is that the 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 nationalist or the insurgent group has to be you know inside population and um and we know that, you know, the say had some limitations. Cabral himself was not a soldier, and he himself spent a great part of, of his time outside the Guinean territory, you know. So going into using like a sort of old oh, Maoist technique to start a war in Bine, I think would be a way to give too much power to the, to the military, and he, he wants to avoid that, you know. And so Che Guevara was, was you know, like a a sort of uh, the was like the the, you know provide some elements as well for how they organized PJC, you know, in the sense that they called uh, it was it was a it was um partido de quadros, a a, a party of of cadres, you know, uh, of uh, of intellectuals. Uh, and trying to and trying to to connect right the, the population general population uh, you know with uh, with a group of intellectuals that, that guide the the war. I think, uh, but you know, but there are a lot of problems that the, that the guerrilla in, in Guinea Bissau had to think about. You know, because one of the things that is important for anyone who such a guerrilla is the and Cabral has written about that and he he was aware of the geographical situation of of Guinea. Guinea doesn't have like mountains, like a Sierra Maestra in Cuba, or even uh, in Cape Verde, you know, in certain places in Cape Verde, but they are good conditions, at least mountains that you can use to start a war, so that to create these sort of sanctuaries that the... uh, that uh, that uh, that the Portuguese would not be able to to take. So Guinea didn't have that, you know, uh, didn't have mountains. So um, they really had to use the natural conditions of Guinea in order to, to, to fight the Portuguese, because they knew that the war would also be hard for 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 the Portuguese, right? Uh, uh, because uh, you know. Guinea is very humid, and Guinea has like all these conditions for malaria and so on. So it was actually a very hard place for the Portuguese to to fight our war. Um, but it was like so. What what happened? And I think another aspect also to be uh, to be considered. And I think this perhaps explains the the uh, you know the fact that. War took, took so long, right? From sixty three to sixty to seventy four. Was the fact that Cabral didn't uh, Cabral didn't want to win independence through sort of you know for him the war was like more than means to get to, 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 to force Portugal to negotiate. So the war was just you know a way to uh, to create. The liberated zones, or to protect the liberated zone, so that some work, social work, could be done in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of education, in terms of health, and so on. But he didn't want to push the uh, Portuguese out of out of Guinea because this would just make everything even worse Because they would have to use, they would have to use more resources. They would have to use more soldiers, and then you know, and 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 they would have to, um, and they would have more problems, you know, because the more uh, people are engaged. More, the, the more people die, and and so on. So for him, the war was was just a way to um, to, to force Portugal uh, to negotiate, and I think this is what ends end up happening uh, with uh, with the. Uh, Revolution in Portugal,
0: but it's a cruel irony, of course, that Cabral doesn't actually live to see that revolution. What leads to his death in 1973, and what effect does this have, really, on the future of Cape Verde and Guinea-Bissau?
1: I think uh, I was saying, you know, there were a lot of there were a lot of a lot of issues that were cropping up. Uh, and and then the, the party didn't have time to to to, to solve uh, because you know the the leadership structure of, of the party was like as I was explained before the soldiers were Guinean so those who who would fight and those who would die were from Guinea right and the leadership the top. Was formed by by Cape Verdeans and Guineans as well, so this starts to bring a lot of to bring a lot of um, a lot of resentment, you know, because Guineans were convinced new that they were actually the ones that were paying for the war, and then Cabral tried to expand the war into Guinea, so to have like a more balanced. Uh, outcome, but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't work because you know, first of all, because Cape Verdeans were not interested in the war. Cape Verdeans, most Cape Verdeans, were not even interested in independence and so on. So this started to create a lot of problems, you know, particularly uh, after '68 when um, uh, spinla who later on became president of Portugal after the carnation revolution in 74 when spinler uh, moved to to, uh, to 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 guinea as the commander of portuguese troops and the governor he realized uh that was you know he realized that he could make some gains if he made this disentanglement between people and, uh, and and guineans right so he started to promote, to push for um, and to enforce actually uh, Guinean identity and particularly the resentment against Cape Verde, you know. And also the, uh, the PAGC didn't have, uh, you know, so what happened after 68 was like was there was like a sort of corridor open between Bissau and Guinea Conakry, or Conakry, right, where you have a lot of people deserters, people just coming back and forth, you know. And I was not like a lot of control about how to deal with you know with people who are who are coming with 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 um, from Guinea, and were interested in joining the forces of 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 of, of, of P'gc in the. You know, in the in the countryside, uh, or even in, in in Conakry, so there are like a lot of you know people back, going back and forth and so on. So a lot of actually, you know, um, a lot of people criticizing Cabral openly uh, and and disagreeing with Cabral openly. You know, particularly a lot of people thinking that perhaps um, Guineans should 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 um, should go for independence without the capabilities, you know. And I really think that that was like the sort of environment uh, that create the conditions for this group to emerge and to kill Cabral uh, in, uh, in 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 seventy three. Because even you know, it's in in the literature and and a lot of people who I talk with. Um, Um, That told me is that you know um, the the killing of Cabral was not like just a sort of assassination, right? Was really a coup d'état, and was not a coup d'état against Cabral, right? Was a coup d'état against Cape Verdeans within PES because they are a group of Guineans who would want to have a party or who would at least want to negotiate independence with Portugal, without the Cape Verdeans. So I think that was the. You know, that was the, the, um, uh, the situation that the part didn't not solve or could not solve or didn't know how to solve that led to the, to the death of Cabral.
0: Very good. Thank you so much for this talk. Um, I'm just curious now, uh, what are you working on next or what are you thinking of working on next?
1: Well, I, uh, you know, I'm uh, in, um, in the middle of, I'm editing now um, a book that is coming out. Uh, I'm copy editing, actually. Uh, the book is coming out uh, early next year uh, through uh, Duke University Press. Uh, and, and it's it's a totally different book. It also deals a lot with Portuguese uh, Portuguese colonialism, but it's about it's about Luanda. So Luanda is the city was, was a, you know I was born in Luanda, and I'm writing a book on Luanda, which is you know um, it's not it's not part of, it's not part of my uh, PhD dissertation. It's like two or one chapter of the dissertation which I expanded into a book. And the book is called uh, In the Skin of, of the City, a Special Transformation in Luanda, and it's coming out uh, next year through uh, Duke University Press. Um, so this is one project. But I'm, I'm really fascinated with the issue of war, uh, insurgency, counterinsurgency, and so on. So my next project is about the war in Angola. You know, Angola has had like one of the longest war in the world. So I'm now also uh, start to do research, particularly around the invasion of South Africa, uh, um, of Angola uh, in, in 75. So when the Portuguese were leaving Angola and, and, and South Africa invaded uh, Angola uh, uh, militarily to prevent Angola from becoming independent. So I'm starting to work on this book on the Angolan Wars.
0: Fascinating. i look forward to reading it. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Ed. It, it has been a pleasure to talk to you.